teaching us about pacing. It's teaching us coping skills for anxiety. It's teaching us uh, coping skills for pain, one of the, the greatest issues that our community deals with. Welcome to this episode of Finding Your Range podcast with me, Jeannie Debon. This is the podcast that looks into hypermobility, EDS and chronic pain. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Maggie Buckley, um, who's going to be talking to us of all things patient advocacy. So um, really popular topic. I get asked a lot about this. so I was delighted that Maggie could join us today. So thank you, Maggie. Thank you. My pleasure. So before we get started, I'm just going to read you um, Maggie's bio. Um, and this will be also posted in the comments below if you um, can't catch everything that, that um, we're reading about. So Maggie Buckley, MBA and BCPA, has been a health and patient advocate for more than 25 years while living with the chronic pain condition Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. She has served on the boards of several nonprofit patient and professional organizations. She has testified at local, state and federal policy hearings, spoken at conferences and in the media, written articles and coached hundreds of people to self-advocate for better care. And she's also written articles. Maggie has an MBA in accounting with experience in banking and business management. And in 2019, she became a board certified patient advocate. And that's what BCPA stands for. Fantastic. Wow. So you've been a patient advocate for more than 25 years. Goodness. Yes. I like the more than because then I, people kind of don't know how old I am. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's a good way of getting around it. <laughs> so um, we mentioned in your bio that you have EDS. Um, yes. Could you tell us a little bit about your personal journey, how you came to know you had EDS? Uh, yeah, I had a lot of issues as a child. And um, at 11, 12, and 13, I started to have repeated dislocations. And this, the summer um, that I was 13, just before I turned 14, it came to a head where it was I was in the emergency room so many times and the orthopedist on call said there, you know, after the second one, he's like, I think there might be something going on here. After the third one, he said, I think I might know what this is. Mm -hmm. And he was setting up a referral for me to see him for evaluation. So mm -hmm. after two months of extensive testing and scans and, and uh, more injuries, he sat my mom and dad, my mother and I down and said, okay, I figured out what this is. It's Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Don't worry about it learning the name and because nobody's ever heard of it. And it only affects one in 750,000 people. So you'll never meet anybody else who has it. Oh, wow. So Gosh. This, was a, this was a long time ago. Long, long time ago. And, um, and then he said, and it means you can't do all of these things, which were, you know, all the sports I was involved in, tennis, and soccer or football and um, uh, hiking, ski racing, downhill ski racing, cross-country skiing. And I was thinking, you know, the last thing you want to tell a 13-year-old is don't do this stuff because then that becomes the to-do list. Yes. So, of course, my thought as a 13-year-old um, was, okay, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. Good. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, and he literally gave us a, a printed out list of activities I wasn't allowed to do. And my mother said, well, what can she do? And so he said, well, you know, anything that is going to strengthen muscles and not have too much resistance in there, mm -hmm. because it's the resistance that's causing all the dislocations and things. Yes. And so after, and he went back, referred again to the list of things you can't do. And my mom's like, you know, what's, what's going on? This is going to be horrible. Our family is very active. Um, so he took off his white coat and folded up, put it aside. And he got up his, and he had gotten up off his stool. And so he sat down on the bench in the clinic room next to me. And he said, now, as a person who has this thing, I can tell you, you 
are the one that sets your own limits. So if there's something on that list that you want to try, just keep in mind that you shouldn't be doing it according to the people that think they know about this, but they probably aren't living with it. If you want to try something, go ahead and try it. You need to be ready to fail. You need to be willing to say, stop, I can't do this. You don't have to finish something if it hurts. You need to learn to listen to your body. And then he did gave me the most wonderful gift, which was referrals for physical therapy, a, a yoga class recommendation. I was enrolled in a, a meditation um, study mm-hmm. at a university close by. Um, the, the physical therapy referrals that he sent, there were multiples and they just kept coming for about a year, which were, you know, teach not fix, but teach the patient to strengthen quadricep muscles, teach the patient about body alignment, teach the, you know, it wasn't, and, and then specific exercises and movements and things to practice, etc. So it, it was an amazing gift. So unlike other people my age, um, the, my experience of being diagnosed is very different. I was diagnosed as a child. I was given the tools to cope with it. Mm. I was um, essentially mentored by somebody much older who had it, who said, this mm. is what you have to do, you know? Yes. And, and the other said is he, the other thing he said to me was, you know, I'm a surgeon and I don't operate on people with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome because even if it might be successful, which it isn't, it rarely is yes. the first time, you're going to need a revision. It has to be redone or tightened up or adjusted down the road. Yeah. He said, for for example, if I do a, a knee um, reconstruction on somebody who doesn't have EDS, I know yeah. they're going to be good for like 15 or 20 years. He says, if I have to do it on somebody with EDS, it's only good for about half the time. So wow. whatever the surgeon says, you know, this will be good for X number of years. He said, just divide that in half and then think about, do you want to do that? Or do you want to work on making sure that your muscles are in shape to stabilize your body and which one is going to be the better, better fit for you? Yeah. He also told my mother, you know, your, your job as a parent doesn't change. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be stopping her from doing anything and holding her back. Your, your job as a parent is to, teach her to make decisions and make choices and understand consequences. Yeah. So if she says, I'm going to go play soccer or football this afternoon, and then I'm going to play tennis this evening under the lights because it's summer, yes. then have a conversation with her. Ask her what it's going to feel like after each one. Yeah. Ask her questions about what it felt like the last time that she did it. And then coach her on making a choice, maybe. Yes. Wow. Well, that's amazing. I mean, that's just so, well, lucky, but also, you know, to have that at such a young age. Wow. Compared to some of the stories we hear now, um, that's just amazing. How fortunate. Right. It's a, it's a comprehensive, integrative medicine approach to coping with a chronic health condition, which now I, I feel like finally in the world in medical circles, we're talking more about that approach as being a healthier approach. He did also refer me for counseling. So mental health was part of it as well. Being Mm. able to cope with all of the emotions and the, you know, the judgment that might be heavy in there. So how was it growing up then? So did you try and do, I don't know, tennis? Yes, yes, yes. And when I was uh, 20 four when I got to the uh the windsurfing thing (laughs) so you basically tried everything (laughs) well I tried I didn't get to uh you know jumping out of an airplane in a parachute so uh but after the uh after the second class of windsurfing and we were on the bay here in San Francisco Bay Area and I dislocated one shoulder and I thought, well, you know, it's the loose one because, you know, we yes. all have a loose, a looser one. It's the loose one. It won't be that bad. So yes. then I went back the next week. I dislocated the other one. 
So I had both arms strapped to myself for a week and had to move home for mom to take care of me, move back in with my parents. My mom could take care of me for a couple of weeks to, to get through that. And I thought, well, maybe I don't need to do everything on the list. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So that was the end of the windsurfing then. Yeah. yeah. No more windsurfing and um, parachutes disappeared, flew off. (laughs) I'm glad. I'm glad. Wow. That's really amazing. Um, now, we mentioned in your bio that you've um, worked um, as a volunteer. Um, yes. And I just wanted to read some of um, the sort of pain focused organizations that you have worked with, because it's really impressive. So we've got Northern California Pain Care Initiative, National Fibromyalgia Association, American Cancer Society, the Special Olympics, Rare Disease, Rare Disease Legislative Advocacy. So lots and lots of really interesting um, organizations. Um, What did you learn from that sort of collective experience that you sort of use now? Well, what I've learned is that most people, whether they are on on the patient side or on the clinician side, most people think of pain management as either taking a pill or having a procedure done. And they're not looking at the full range of things, as I mentioned, that I was given when I was first diagnosed. So most of these organizations were taking a hard look at that, you know, our our social history internationally um, for the last 20 years has been taking a hard look at uh, opioid pain medications, which I believe have a place in the overall um, treatment of pain. I believe that it's only one small part of a full pain management program. So volunteering with all of these organizations and the American Pain Foundation, the Academy of Integrative Pain Management, the Alliance to Advance uh, Comprehensive Integrative Pain Management and the pain community, um, it has brought a clearer understanding of all the things that could possibly be included Mm -hmm. in that model, you know, we often don't think of some of the stuff that we naturally do as people with a chronic healthcare condition as part of our pain management plan, but it is. And we need to acknowledge that. For example, most of us with chronic health conditions, when we first wake up, especially if it's a hypermobile joint issue, the first thing we do when we wake up, we don't move. We do a body scan, whether we're conscious of it or not, make sure everything's lined up before we try and move anything so that we don't hurt ourselves. And a body scan is a mind-body connection exercise that you might get through um, cognitive behavioral therapy, sometimes called CBT. It might be something that you get in yoga or in Pilates instruction, et cetera. And that is a valid pain management technique because you are taking an action to prevent or minimize pain. If we sense pain in that body um, scan, we will reorganize ourselves to minimize that pain sort of thing. We drink water immediately when we get up. So hydration is an important part. We're conscious about what we eat, et cetera. Nutrition is a part of pain management. Um, Pacing ourselves throughout the day, making sure that we're strengthening ourselves and we're um, doing the exercises that we need to do to maintain our health condition and uh, making sure we take time to rest and recover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the whole picture, a very holistic approach. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Yeah, very nice. Um, and, And then you became, I think it was in 2019, a board certified patient advocate. So what does that involve? Well, it involves um, coursework, obviously, and testing. And the coursework includes under in here in uh, North America, there's a lot of focus on the different um, health coverage um, options. So understanding what the insurance options are and what the government, uh, which is called CMS, um, and that's Medicare and Medicaid here. Uh, what's covered or how you access it. There's a a lot of um, coursework on ethics. What do you 
what do you talk about? What can you talk about? What shouldn't you talk about? Um, how to coach somebody versus how to make decisions for them mm -hmm. sort of things. Um, and where to go in our fractured healthcare system mm -hmm. to get whatever resources you might need, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a lot of uh, coursework. There's some formal college uh, and university level coursework that have now have programs in this. Yeah. I have an undergraduate degree in social work. So I was sort of grandfathered in to the, the early rounds in yeah. there. Mm. Plus my experience of yeah. doing it. I can't help thinking that your early experience with your diagnosis um, and the fact that you were given such fantastic guidance and help has really helped kind of mold you into that sort of role, I guess. Right. He, he really modeled for me what it meant to be a person who's living with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which yeah. is not only are you taking care of yourself, you're helping others and encouraging others. Yeah, And I didn't really understand what health advocacy was until um, the early 1990s when, yeah. um, or the mid-1990s, when a friend of mine who is a physician came to me and said, I've got this really weird constellation of symptoms. My doctors aren't listening to me. Will you help me communicate with them? And I'm like, but you're a doctor. And she's like, yeah, but you you help everybody else and and you always have the care that you need and you yeah. don't put, you don't put up with this nonsense that i'm faced with and and then she explained to me that's health advocacy I'm like oh there's a name for this thing that i'm doing i thought i was just helping i thought i was yeah. just asking questions yes about someone's situation yeah yeah no, I think you've got a, a you know very unique sort of skill set, haven't you? Because you have such a lovely understanding and such a lovely manner. I can you know I can see why. Oh, people thank you. Well, yeah, you're just very comforting, so I can see why people come to you for for help and, and guidance. Um, so so yeah, we've just touched on that. Why did you decide to become so involved in advocacy? Well, you know, it was a series of, um, I don't know, accidents. It was a series of interesting interactions. So there was this, this interaction with a friend of mine who is a, a physician. And so that got me involved in the, um, or helped help me to acknowledge the coaching that I was doing and helping people to advocate for themselves, how to prepare for appointments, how to word things in messaging in letters or uh, interacting with insurance coverage if necessary etc cetera, etc cetera. um at a dinner party i was at um with another the hostess um she also had ehlers danlos syndrome and some of the other people there were very politically active um and they were talking about um disparities in pain management treatment between different genders mm -hmm. and uh, the hostess said, oh, well, Maggie has something to say about that. And so I shared with them my experiences, which had been recent at the time of not getting care for a very important issue from a male healthcare provider and not feeling listened to. And, um, and the advice being, oh, don't worry about it, just go home, it'll pass. Whereas I knew and recognized my symptoms, I knew that this was a serious issue. So I wrote him a letter um, and he was the department chair. So I thought, okay, I have to do something. So I, I wrote to him and said, this, you know, this is unacceptable. This is what's going on. These are the possible diagnoses that I want to rule, I believe should be ruled out. Yes. And his response was, I'm clearly not the doctor for you because I don't see it that way. So I went back to um, the, the HMO that I was in. I went back to the, they have a, a patient services office. Yes. And they helped me identify another physician, a woman. And she read my file. And before I even went to see her, 
she read, had read the file and ordered the tests and agreed that based on lab work and everything that had done, been done previously, there was something going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and as it turned out, it, it was a very serious issue. It did need a surgical intervention. Wow. It, was, it, was a, it was a big deal. And if it hadn't been for her, you know, I, all kinds of other things could have happened. Thankfully, mm-hmm. they did not. So I shared that experience. And um, I did not know, I wasn't paying attention, I guess, or maybe we didn't share who, who did what kind of work in the office, but there were some um, legislative staffers, one for a state senator, one for um, uh, in the state government, and one for the federal government. So suddenly I was being asked to write this up and submit it as a letter. I was being invited to testify at the state capitol. So that's, oh a, a, so that's why I got into legislative advocacy because stories have power. Yeah. So that was my, my first, the first story I was talking about was the gender disparity of, of treatment and the consequences, et cetera. And through that, I met a lot of other people, researchers, um, patients, and yes. um, other advocates who were very involved in the, the legislative ad- advocacy aspects of things. And so they sort of invited me to come along next time on their next effort and their next effort and their next effort. And the staffers that, um, that worked with us, which were a lot of them, uh, proved to be very wonderful coaches on how to speak, et cetera. At one point, uh, one of the people in this network had a connection in an advertising agency. And so um, they provided us for free uh, media training so that we could also speak to the press and yeah. do that, that type okay. of thing. So that's, that's how I sort of moved into the, the media. Wow. One chance, one chance dinner party set everything Sort of right. Careful what careful what you answer when somebody asks you to share your experience, because then you'll be brought into this. And I, I quickly realized that um, telling my story is one thing. I'm familiar with that. What's more powerful is if I mention one line of my story and then I share the stories of two or three other people to underscore the point. Yes. Yeah. It's more power. It's even more powerful, and it moves people to action. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, it's invaluable, isn't it? What you're doing, just invaluable. And you know, just coming back to that, what happened to you with the male doctor? Um, it takes courage, right, to actually sit down and write and stand up to somebody who we think is so much more important than us, and more qualified than us. That must have been quite scary and it, it did take courage. Well, he was, he was a new to me physician. So, you know, prior to that, I did my usual send a letter. Um, this was back before email, folks. Um, <laughs> send a letter saying, I'm looking forward to meeting you. Here's a little bit about my history. Um, and I included a one pager on what my medical diagnoses were and uh, a paragraph about the symptoms I was experiencing and what I was, and the final paragraph was, this is what I'm concerned about. Yeah. This is what I'm worried about. And I need you to help me mm. figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. And then he said, I'm not the doctor for you. How did you feel? Because a lot of people might give up at that stage when he well, when he said I well when when I left his office after he said don't worry it's no it's nothing big it's completely normal all women go through this um, yeah. I thought no I'm a woman and I know a lot of women you're a and you're a man and there are other women that I have talked to that have gone through this and are going through this hmm. so something's wrong here and so that's and I by the time I got home I was so angry I Mm. shot off another letter saying I disagree with you and I I said all of those things I'm a woman I interact with other women yeah There's, there's something here yeah and and he just said you know I'm not the doctor for you 
So I thought, okay, fine. I will find one that is. Yes. Yes, I got told once I was having terrible problems with my um, mast cells in my bladder. And um, the gynecologist who delivered my second son when I, I was going to see him and he just said to me, no, this is way above my pay grade. I can't, I can't help you. And it's like, oh, I mean, luckily I then found the most amazing doctor who recognized mast cells and sorted it all out. But he was just, just kind of gave up. He tried all the usual things. They didn't work. And then he's like, sorry, it's above my pay grade. And yeah. you just left afloat. You know, right. And so, so what I, if you were someone I was working with as a health and patient advocate, I would say, okay, first of all, now that you've told the story and you've expressed your anger, let's take a deep breath. Just bring it in. Exhale yeah. very slowly. And, you know, maybe we need to do a couple more. Now, now that we're thinking clearly, let's think about the future goal. What do we want in yes. this? What are we expecting? And yeah. so then that gives us our shopping list for finding a provider. It also gives our, our, us a list of things we need to communicate to that provider before we see them, yeah. before we even see them. So this is that what's something going on? that people should yes. be sending um, lists? Well, or? definitely do the, do, the, do the deep breathing first. <laughs> yes. Organize, yeah. organize your communications with your yeah. um, potential doctors. Yeah. Um, you, you do want to keep things concise. So that's why I'm saying clear your mind and focus on what is your objective yeah. here? What are your, visualize where you're trying to get to. And don't visualize it in terms of, oh, I want this surgery. Think no. of it as, oh, I want these symptoms to be managed, or exactly. I want this issue to be resolved. I don't want to deal with these mast cells anymore. Well, yeah. none of us do, but yeah. Um, exactly. And that's all any of us want, right? All I wanted at that time was help with managing these symptoms, which were totally out of my control at the time. Um, right. So now you, you, once you've identified the goal, then think about the steps it's going to take to get you there. Yeah. So, you know, and think backwards. You need a, a doctor to be engaged or a clinician to be engaged and understand what's going on. You need them to be qualified in that specific body system with, mm -hmm. that's appropriate to deal with those symptoms. So um, open your mind to, at least if they're qualified in that, are they humble enough to say, I don't know anything about EDS and are you willing to go to see a clinician who is not um, familiar with EDS and is still the top at the top of their field or very well versed in whatever the main issue is yeah. because you're it's rarely are you going to find the two in the same person in the same yeah. clinician yeah. Um, yeah. balancing that and then how do you find that person how do you find that clinician so you can look online at all of the different rating um, services of clinicians yeah. You can ask your network of people that have the same symptoms or the same condition. Who do they see for that? Yeah. And will it down? Find um, two possibilities from all of that. And yeah. then, then the hard work comes. I call it the hard work because you have to, again, figure out how to communicate very concisely. This is what's going on. Mm. And these are the current symptoms. Yeah. And this is how I feel about it. Yeah. And I need, I, you know, it doesn't hurt to flatter them. I have heard that you are very good at dealing with these type of symptoms. And I really need your expertise in finding yeah. a way through in here. And yeah. instead of, of putting all of your medical history and everything that's going on into the main body of the letter, I recommend making a single um, sheet of paper, two sides with your healthcare summary in there. So it has um, on the front, you would have your diagnosis, date of diagnosis, the treatments you've been using to do that. You would include your allergies on there. 
And then on the flip side, you want to make sure you list all the medications and all of the over-the-counter medications and supplements that you're taking, and then any other food allergies and stuff that didn't fit on the on the first side. It doesn't hurt to repeat the allergies for a lot of us with um, our complex EDS and HSD yes. um, universe of symptoms going on in there. Very good. Yeah. Um, and you're going to share that document with us, aren't you? So we can have a have a look at yes. that. Yes, we're going to create a, a specific one for the Zebra Club. Yes, yes. And it's interesting, you know, talking about asking the community is so valuable, right? Because the Zebra Club, um, people are always asking, does anyone know a doctor for this? Or like we had a meeting in Australia today, this morning, and, you know, Really, apparently, it's very hard to find people who understand EDS. And so they were saying, does anyone know, even if they have to travel a long way, can someone help me with a physiotherapist? Or So it's really important to find, you know, that community. We're so good at helping each other, I think, that we're happy to share. So it's very, it's very nice. We, we are. And I think it's really important in our community to recognize that it doesn't always have to be you're traveling a long way. There's a lot of stuff. Uh, in the last couple of years, we've learned that can be done through telemedicine. Yeah. And so there's a lot more of, of health, health providers and clinicians and even researchers who are offering consultations via video conference. Yeah. And many of them will write a letter or communicate with your primary health care provider to guide them on how to manage your symptoms locally. Yeah. Sort, of, sort of thing. So there's, yeah. there's that. And there's also, when you're looking at healthcare providers, I always say that we're not necessarily looking for an expert. We're looking for someone who is humble enough to say, I don't know about hypermobility, but I'm willing to work with you and learn. Yes. And more importantly, I'm willing to try things with you until we find something that works and gives you relief and support. Yeah, yeah. humble is a nice word, isn't it? Um, yes. Yes. So, so why do you think that it is hard for us to advocate for ourselves when we go and see these consultants, these doctors? Why is it so hard? Well, if we've had bad experiences in the past, we get a lot of anxiety going into that appointment. Yes. And so we're not really good at communicating when we are experiencing the symptom, uh, symptoms of anxiety. You know, if you're anxious, you're not breathing fully, so your brain isn't functioning fully. You're sort of hunched over and not the best posture. So um, you're, you're stressing yourself out. You're causing yourself more pain. Um, and your experience in that moment is, I can't believe I'm here. And so when they come in, it's usually a rush unloading of here's my medical history, here's my symptoms. And every time the, the healthcare provider tries to talk to you, you interrupt them with more stuff or, or um, sort of veer off on a tangent or something instead of focusing on what we're, we're there for. Yes. So each clinician has a limited amount of time for us. And thinking about it in those terms in advance before we get in there is is going to overcome some of those mm. challenges. So there's the the past experience, there's the um, the behaviors that may be exhibited in there, and so just think about yourself. If if your neighbor came in to just borrow a cup of sugar, but once they started talking, twenty minutes later, you're like, what What are you doing here? Why are you talking? And you're trying to get rid of them and you're not listening to what they're saying, yeah. which makes them more uh, vigilant about getting their message to you of what yeah. they, they're thinking and what they think is important. And, and you're just trying to get rid of them. Well, that's the same yeah. dynamic that's happening in that yeah. healthcare appointment because yeah. the clinician's like, whoa, wait, overload. I, I can't deal with all of that at once. Yes, yeah. So there's, there's ways to prepare. Yeah, and I think having that sheet, because I, I, you know, 
I have my mind goes blank sometimes. They say, tell me about, you know, tell me what's going on. And all of a sudden you've got all this information. You don't know where to start. And so my mind just goes blank. And right. Um, it's right. awful. <laughs> or if you're, you go into that new appointment and they say, okay, here, fill out these forms or here, enter on this iPad, your complete medical yeah. history. And it's like, uh, I can't remember anything. Exactly. Can't remember it. So I, mean, I always, I always bring a copy with me Yes, and I, for me to refer to, and I bring an extra copy to give to anyone who says, here, could you fill in this information? It's like, well, yeah. uh, first of all, my fingers don't work so well, so I don't want to write. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Can't I just give you this piece of paper? You can scan it in. Yeah. Um, I also have a PDF version on my phone so that I can email that to them or um, share it. However necessary if they prefer that so yeah yeah definitely there's you know like you said interactions probably you know there's also a bit of fear in there isn't there because if you have had bad experiences Mm -hmm. dismissed and told it's all in your head or we go in there wondering if this person's going to believe us in the first place Um, right there's a bit of that going on isn't there I think there absolutely is so I always if it's a new clinician I definitely give them the benefit of the the doubt if it's not a new physician I have had really bad experiences on a first appointment with somebody left and then sent them a a message afterwards and then gotten a message back and then like it opens the door for communication and then had really good experiences with that clinician, one of whom recently retired. And so I'm, I'm, um, you know, anxious about replacing him. Yeah. Uh, I say he, he just retired, but he retired 18 months ago. (laughs) (laughs) And the last six months I was with him, he, he said, okay, we're going to bring this other person in and I'm going to convince her that you're not crazy and that you really know what's going on. And it's Okay. So I've been working with her for a year, but our interaction has all been uh, through telemedicine and through yes. the email portal. So I don't really know her the way that I knew him yeah. for 20 years. Yeah, yeah. No, and other people, oh. other people didn't like him, but because that first interaction was so bad, and then I sent him this letter explaining to me, and he said to me, I really appreciate you communicating like that with me and letting me know. So now... Let's break it down. Yeah. I had already broken it down. He said, let's break it down into smaller pieces. He goes, I'm, I'm a man. I don't think that way. Yeah. Just give me one thing we're going to do today. Yeah. Well, that's true, isn't it? The, the way the brains work as well is very right. different as well. So, yeah, they're very fixed on just solving a problem, right? One problem at a time. Right. One, yeah. one thing at a time. Yeah. Interesting. Don't make it complicated. Yeah. Yeah, you kept saying, and I would start talking. Sometimes you'd say, "Just keep it simple. Just keep it simple." Yeah. So, if somebody is newly diagnosed and they're feeling totally overwhelmed, what are your top tips now? What What should they be thinking about? Well, my top tips are obviously the same that I was given. Yeah. Which was look at all of the other things outside of the doctor's office that can help you. Yes. Um, or that you and explore them, be open to exploring them. Yeah. Look for other people with the condition. Start, yes. start putting together your medical summary, because that also helps you identify gaps. Oh, I have this diagnosis, which I was given in, you know, January of 2018. Yes. And I don't have anything in my treatment column because I'm not doing anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. So think about, you know, identifying the things, like I said, with the pain management, identify the things that you maybe aren't aware of that you're doing and make sure you list those so that when you do interact with a clinician on that relative to that diagnosis, you're not being told to go and do the things you're already doing. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of thing. So, so take the time to do that, to network, to, um, Take advantage of all of the video support and the community support that we have available to us online in there. Practice um, preparing for your medical appointments by um, 
having a practice conversation with a family member or a friend of what's going on mm-hmm. and what you want. You know, we go in and we have so many issues we want to address. So identify your top five. You're going to keep a running list anyway of all of your healthcare issues that you you need to yes. list. And I worked with one woman, she had like 367 or something on, on her list. I'm like, okay, so wow. what are the top five most important you want to deal with this month? Yes. She's like, but I want to deal with all of them. Yeah. Well, that's not going to happen. And you're just going to continue to be miserable and you're going to yeah. continue to, be to find it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so let's break it down. So we grouped those into things that might be related Right. And categories. Yeah. So then we could identify from this clinician, from my GP, I can get this support and I can get these referrals. And in physical therapy, I can get this support and I can ask these questions. Yeah. Sort of thing. Yeah. So breaking it down that way. And then when you're going into an actual appointment, prior to that appointment, send them a message that you're. Uh, looking forward to seeing them. And these are the five issues you hope to get addressed in this visit or the next, because it's very rare you're going to cover all five. And if you, when I feel like my doctor's sort of fatigued with all of this, I try and throw in something easy. Like, you know, I need my referral for my vaccination, or I need my my annual blood labs Mm -hmm. run to check my thyroid function sort yeah. of thing. I'll throw that in as one of the five because it's like, it's a win for them. They're like, oh, look at this list of five things. And then they're <laughs> like, oh, I can do this one. I yes. can check that one off the list. Yeah. Whenever we make a list, if we can check it off, we feel good. Yeah. So yeah. it gets one. checked up on both our list. Yeah. And it gets done. Yeah. So include a, a win in that list, but, but limit it to five. Yes. That's I would say. Yeah. And that, that five um, sets you up not only for that appointment, there's going to be two or three that are going to carry over to the next appointment. And then yes. you add two or three more to round out the list for yes. the next appointment in there. Yeah. yeah, brilliant. Very good. Yeah, because it can be very overwhelming, can't it? Um, right, right. And then um, the other thing for newly diagnosed people, it's you know, you're feeling so overwhelmed and you have already encountered um, people in your life, not just clinicians who say, oh, you really need some psychological help. Mm. So when that first clinician offers you the, I say offers, um, offers you the referral for psych, take it because, and go into it honestly and explore the emotions because you're in a difficult situation. Yeah. More often than not, you're going to learn more about communication. You're going to, if you can find someone, uh, a mental health care provider that you have a good relationship with, they're yeah. going to become an advocate advocate for you. And if you authorize them to communicate with your health care providers mm-hmm. and you're keeping them up to date on what's going on and when you're being dismissed, yes. they'll be the ones that can send the message that says, this is not a psychosomatic issue. This person is dealing with this condition in a healthful manner, and they're already under professional care for mental health. So please focus on the physical aspects. Yeah. Sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so don't be put off when someone says, Oh, it's all in your head. You, we're just going to send you for counseling. Say, okay, thank you. And I'll be back. Yeah. Yeah, because I guess people worry that they're just being brushed off, right? And then that's the end of it, you know. Um, and mental health support, it's more than just mental health support. Yeah. It's teaching us about pacing. It's teaching us coping skills for anxiety. It's teaching yeah. us uh, coping skills for pain, one of the, the greatest issues that our community deals with. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely under... Um, undervalued, underappreciated, and yeah. often overlooked, especially with the newly diagnosed, because they want to move through fast. They want to just tick off the boxes. So um, the other piece of advice I give, um, which I've heard you say before in classes, mm-hmm. go low, go <laughs> slow. <Yeah. Exactly>. Start. 
Well, exactly. Totally. Yeah. I think that applies to everything, isn't it? <laughs> Revolving. Right. Yes. You know, you do have to take things slow. Um, yeah. No, very yeah, nice. Don't, don't throw too much stuff in there. And when, yeah. and the low refers to whether it's a new prescription, start at the lowest um, dose available. Yeah. If it's a new activity, start at the lowest amount of resistance yeah. or the lowest amount of repetitions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And what about with friends and family? So we've talked about advocating to our doctors, but friends and family can be tricky as well, can't they? Maybe they, they certainly can. What so can part now? of it, part of the issue is that this is a genetic condition. And so people's reactions, they may be giving you a, an anger or dismissing you because they, they hear the genetic part and they're afraid that it, it may prove true for them also. And they see you in pain or they see you uncomfortable and they're afraid of that. They don't want to do it. They don't want to engage. So acknowledging that is one thing. Mm -hmm. um, making sure that your communication is clear about what's going on. Um, and yet making sure it isn't the only thing you're talking about. Yes. You need to maintain those personal relationships independent of, of EDS. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, being, being willing to ask for and accept help or assistance is very important because until um, somebody can uh, engage with you in this, this whole journey of Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, productively they don't know do i just need to listen to you do i need to fix something do i need to you know so they might just keep giving you things that they think might help right so yeah. and oh i don't have oh i do have um so one example is like a lot of people say oh you need to have these crystals or you have to have this supplement this will fix that for you. And yeah. they don't really, you know, they've, they've heard from you that it's genetic and it's, there isn't really a cure. There's just yeah. managing the symptoms sort of things, but they'll, they'll do things and they'll give you um, crystals or things for comfort. Yes. And instead of getting angry with them, acknowledge that this is something that they're doing because they care about you because they want to do something and this is all they can think of. That's what's in their world. So thank you for their, thank you for the recommendation. Thank you for the crystals. I carry the, um, the different crystals that people have given me. Oh. I have three of them right now, but I, I carry them in my pocket because we're all fidgeters anyway. Oh, well, yeah. So you can and so, yeah. and so whenever I touch these in my pocket, um, it's a reminder that these, the people that have given these to me, they care about me and love me enough to do something. Oh, so it's a, so you, you have to look for the positive in there. Yes. And then if people want to get more engaged, then specifically ask for help. Oh, I need help preparing meals for the week. Yeah. And be specific about what you want them to do. I want you to come over on Sunday and help me prepare these, this food to make individual meals for me for the rest of the week. Yeah. This is this is the shopping list. So if you could pick these items up, bring them over on Sunday at one o'clock, and we will spend the afternoon cooking, and then we will have dinner together and watch a movie or whatever, or yeah. we'll watch a movie while we're doing it sort of thing. It's a good time to interact yes. and maintain that social relationship. It's very specific type of help. People love to uh, feed one another so it it satisfies that yes um and they're you're actively asking for something specific that somebody knows how to do yes and it builds Amazing. their confidence and it makes them want to do it again yes no oh, nice and what about you know some people you know they their symptoms don't start until much later in life um, so they've been sort of living a normal life, shall we say, and then this thing happens and, and they start to decline. Um, mm -hmm. How about 
how is that explained to family and friends? Because that's an odd one, isn't it? One minute you're climbing mountains with someone and the next minute you're like, well, I can't do that anymore. Right, right. And um, so there's a lot of different ways to address it. And if it's a, a large extended family that it's an issue, maybe you need to send a message to all of them saying, I have this diagnosis as of this date. This is what it is. And here's a link if you want to learn more. This yeah. is how it affects me. Again, concise, because people aren't going to read through the whole thing. No. This, is, this is how it affects me. Pick the top five issues that you have. Yeah. Pain, fatigue, whatever it might be. Um, and uh, these, are, these are the ways that I'm coping with it. I'm, I'm learning about pacing myself. So I'm trying not to do too much yeah. i'm learning to ask for help you know it's you know you're a work in progress yeah and always finish with the i'm learning to ask for help and so i may be coming to you asking for help to do the cooking or the cleaning or the shopping or the whatever yes as the last period and i hope that you can support me if you have any specific questions about what's going on with me, please come to me directly and ask me. Nice. Yeah. And, and so it's a simple message. You're sending it out to the whole family. On the next level, the next round of communication, when people are talking about, well, pain, I don't understand your pain or I don't understand your fatigue, mm. then sort of like a, um, a Pictionary game with them but you can use words have everybody take a turn describing what pain means to them using pictures words sounds colors yeah. etc have everyone take a turn describing fatigue what it means to them pictures yeah. colors sounds feelings yeah. whatever in there and everybody's taking a, a chance taking a time to communicate to the rest of the group this is how I interpret this. Yes. And then that leads to a conversation where we're all able to say, okay, I understand your version of pain and fatigue and I understand yours, which are vastly different. Yeah. And, and now I can communicate with you. When I'm feeling fatigued, I mm -hmm. feel that blue blobby thing that you were describing. Yeah. And then it opens the communication. Yeah. That's brilliant. Isn't it really use, you know, simple, but things we don't probably not thinking about in the moment because we're so caught up in the emotion. Right. right. And these are the types of things that, you know, a family counselor would also help you with. If, yeah. it, if it comes to that, a, a family counselor can help your family improve their communication on this level. Brilliant. Oh, I really like that. That's fantastic. So, if people are listening and they're interested in learning more, is there any you know, websites, books, resources that you recommend people go and look up? Oh, so many. Yeah. Most people think of the Ehlers-Danlos Society or the Hypermobility um, Association. Yeah. Uh, and so doing a Google search, you'll find a lot of organizations that, that have resources for people with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. I encourage people to think more in terms of um, the symptoms or their experience and think about other conditions that have that. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole bunch of pain resources out there, which yeah. I'll give, I'll give a list of links for Jeannie to put into um, yeah. the comments later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, and, but also think about things like, there's other connective tissue disorders. Osteo, um, well, osteoporosis is one, but osteogenesis imperfecta is yeah. a group that I connected early on. Remember, I was told there's hardly anybody who has it. And so don't worry about it. So I learned so much from people with scleroderma, people with pemphigus, people with osteogenesis imperfecta, not only about some of the symptoms I was experiencing, Yes. Um, people with diabetes, but learning how to live a productive, satisfying life yeah. and participate in that life yes. with a chronic health condition. Yeah. 
I learned so much about how to find healthcare providers or how to communicate with others. Yes. So break down some of those walls that are preventing you um, from getting out of that EDS and HSD yes. silo and look at, at others. Yes. I, you know, at the other extreme end, just because of my life path, et cetera, um, I have also interacted with a lot of super healthy people like fit athletes, um, yeah. some professional athletes, et cetera, and learning about their life and all the things that they're doing to uh, maintain muscle tone, maintain their peak performance, et cetera. Yeah. All of that applies for all of us yeah. as well. Yeah. So yeah, don't great. limit yourself to just this this little silo there's a whole yeah. world of information out there that is yeah. free for the asking and people love to talk about themselves so if you ask them a question how do you deal with pain how do you deal with fatigue how do you um keep your muscles toned they love to tell you yeah that's such a great idea really brilliant excellent yeah never thought of that actually that's really good thank you um, and what if somebody's listening and they also want to become a patient advocate? How can they do that? How do they do that? Well, anybody can be a patient advocate. You know, there's different different types of patient advocates. There's the patient advocate who, who just becomes knowledgeable and can advocate for themselves and access the care that they need. That there's the person who advocates for somebody else in that mm -hmm. setting to do that. There's legislative advocacy, which I talked about. There's um, advocacy, there's awareness advocacy. So speaking out in public and um, to the media or maybe writing in, et cetera, um, are ways to become an advocate and yeah. recognize that. To become a board certified patient advocate, um, you need obviously the education and the training and it, it doesn't have to be a social worker. It could be yeah. a nurse or an allied health professional, yes. any type of clinician. It could, could be, you know, almost any um, qualification prior to that. And then you, you go to uh, pacboard.org, P-A-C-B-O-A-R-D.org. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the, the um, certification right. organization. So patient advocates, patient advocate certification board. Okay. And then you can find about find out about the testing cycles and how to proceed from yeah. there. Perfect. Amazing. And can people find out more about your work and where they can connect with you? Yes, I'm Googleable, so you can find <laughs> out uh, what I'm doing. Um, a lot of my activity is with uh, the pain community right now. That's paincommunity.org. And with the uh, Alliance to Advance Comprehensive Integrative Pain Management. And that's painmanagementalliance.org okay. in there. Yeah. And I, I pop up on things like Zebra Club or podcasts or, yeah. <laughs> or the Ehlers-Danlos Society. Um, there's a whole bunch of... Uh, videos there of past yeah. presentations that I've done yes yeah fantastic brilliant gosh so much information there really such a wealth of knowledge about you know something that's so important and yet we probably don't think about it enough probably when we go to our right and well the main main takeaway here is everyone just take a deep breath yes Take as many clearing breaths as you need because it's going to help you focus. Yeah. And then uh, the other trick that I'll teach you is when you really need to pay attention, just um, tug on your ear. There's acupuncture, acupressure points in your ear that mm. affect your attention. So um, if you're ever at a conference or a meeting with me, you'll see me listening to something and then suddenly you'll see me just massaging my ears. It's because I'm trying to soak in all of that information. And then the, the third takeaway is take what people give you and remember that they're giving you whatever they can because they care about you. So acknowledge that level of caring. That's so nice. That's a beautiful, yeah, that's such a beautiful thought. 
Absolutely. Thank you. Honestly, that was so valuable. Thank you so much, Maggie, for your time. Really brilliant. Thank you. Um, I'm sure we'll have lots of um, comments about it. So if you do have questions for Maggie, um, you can leave them in the comments box and I will make sure Absolutely. She and she will reply. Um, but yes, you can also Google her, as she said, and you will find her as well if you want to chat to her directly. Um, but absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you. Answered all of our questions and, and um, you know, a lot of those coming from the community, those questions. So thank you. Really enjoyed that. Great. Thank you. So thank you, everyone, for listening and watching. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, so do leave us comments in the box below. And um, until next time, keep moving. <laughs>